0: I want to begin today, not talking about the Gospel of John yet, but about Samson. You know that story. Uh, There were great expectations placed on his life. He was the to be the deliverer of Israel. In fact, no one was ever born with greater expectations, except maybe for the Lord Jesus Christ. Samson was a man with a fantastic future. From birth, he enjoyed special privileges. According to the scriptures, he was made a Nazarite. Even his mother became one when she discovered she was with child. This means that according to number six, that Samson was specially set apart unto God. And as a sign of that, his hair was never to be cut. He was never to touch a dead body, and he was never to drink wine. Now, when I was uh, younger uh, in a Presbyterian church in Kalinga, California, um, I read about Samson, and I decided that I wanted to take the vow of a Nazirite, and I let my hair grow. Uh, My mother was very unhappy with me at that. By the time it hit my shoulders, she was willing to do anything to uh, have me get a haircut. I was in college in those days, and so... I was in college, and I, I, I was tired of having hair down to here. I mean, it was, well, I wish I had it now, but back then, uh, it was too much. And so I uh, went to the barber shop, and I said, I want it cut short. The barber did that, and I said, but first, uh, clean everything off around, uh, can you gather all of this hair together? And he said, sure. And so he did, and he put it in a ball and put it in a bag, and I took it and put it in a box. And I addressed it to my mother and just sent it to her. Sent me back a letter. This has made me the happiest woman in the world. That was the end of the letter. She didn't want to tell me anything more about it than that. The next week, I found a white hair. I plucked it out, taped it to a three-by-five card, mailed it to her and said, how does this make you feel? <laughs> it took her months before she would speak to me again. All right, so Samson, he, he it didn't have his hair cut. What he meant by that and what was suggested by that was that he was, it was to just set apart his body so that he would be different than other men. And then it's not touching dead bodies, you know, none of us want to do that. It suggested that he was uniquely alive. And then the prohibition against strong drink meant that Samson was to find no other stimulus but God in his life. And he committed himself to this. As he began to grow, he exhibited unique physical physical capabilities. Um, it was appeared that if Samson could do anything, he could do anything at all, when the Spirit came upon him, miracles happened. When he grew up, uh, the Jews expected great things. He was going to deliver his people. But sadly, his life fell apart. It all began when uh, he pursued a Philistine wife in spite of his parents' objections. He was also made the mistake of having friends who led him in a life of lax morals. And he used his power selfishly and wastefully. And then, of course, there was that costly liaison with Delilah. Eventually broke, Samson decided he'd go out as he'd done before Uh, and defeat the Philistines. That way he could take a little of the prize that, well. But this time it was different. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. He'd become so desensitized to a spiritual situation, his perception was gone, and his uh, potential was unfulfilled. Unfulfilled when the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and then took him down to Gaza, blinding him with, uh, binding him with bronze shackles, his life indeed had caved in. But even greater tragedy is that his life has become the agenda for countless lives down through the centuries. A mirror of those who have had great potential but fell short I know somebody like that. Do you? Those who seem to be free and on the verge of accomplishing great things for God were suddenly in bondage. We can even see the same pattern in our own lives sometimes. Samson was meant to be a deliverer but instead became a slave. In our passage in John, we discover that lies What lies behind? Slavery. And we also find the prescription and motivation to freedom. Jesus was locked in a confrontation with the religious authorities. He proclaimed that he was the light of the world, implying that his opponents were in darkness. He warned the Jews that they were in dangers of the fires of hell because they were from below and he was from above. And that the two realms cannot mix. He even suggested that uh, they might actually be in bondage. You see this in verses 31, 32, 34 of chapter 8. It says, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciple. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The Jews completely missed the point. Jesus was speaking on a spiritual level, but they were thinking physically. That's why in verse 33 they answered him Well, we're Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we'd be set free? How could they say that they'd never been slaves? What about Egypt and Babylon and the Assyrians? And what about the Greeks? And now what about the Romans? They had been enslaved, but in their mind, they they never really looked at that and uh, agreed to being enslaved. I read a story this week about a man who was transporting chickens. Have you ever seen somebody transporting a lot of chickens? They got cages and and in, uh, in the back of the pickup or the or the flatbed, and the wind is blowing. And and if you're close, it's pretty smelly, and the feathers are flying at you, well, you get, get the picture. But what they do is they tie their feet together and stick them in these cages so that they don't hurt themselves while they're being transported, especially if they go long distances. When I lived in the San Joaquin Valley, there were lots of chickens in trucks. Uh, I, every time I got in my convertible and drove, yeah, chicken stuff came at me. It's why I've never been to Chick-fil-A. I just have a thing against chickens. But when they reach their destination uh, after traveling, they, the people open the cages and they cut the strings in order to let the chickens out. But even after they're set free, the chickens just lay there in the cages. They don't get out. They thought they were still bound and they refused to get up. Uh, So the man has to get in and slap the chickens around a little bit to get them up and moving. Once they realized that they were free, the chickens really enjoyed their freedom. And you could just imagine the sight of happy little chickens running around everywhere. I enjoy that illustration so much because there's times as a pastor that I really want to go down from the pulpit into the congregation and slap some of you around (laughs) and tell you Jesus has already made you free. When Christians get all defeated and discouraged, I really want to slap us around and tell us the price has already been paid. People all over North America are lying there waiting for something to happen in their life. So they can finally get free. And the truth is, you're already free in Jesus Christ. Jesus has already purchased your freedom. Through faith in his blood, right now you can even shake yourself up. And I don't have to come down and slap you around. And you can get moving. And you can go forward in victory. Because God has already given it to you. His blood has made you free. Jesus' blood has made you free. So this is a warning. You're free. Don't make me come down there. Jesus is trying his best to wake these people up. Now it's interesting. He's in the temple. He's talking not to the to the Jewish leadership, he's talking to his own people, people that have followed him, people that have said, yeah, we want to follow you, we appreciate you, Jesus. And now he's talking to them this way about their freedom. He's trying his best to wake them up. But the Jews misunderstood Jesus. Many times they were deceiving themselves because they were in a physical bondage. Their people had, throughout their history, had been slaves to Egypt and to Babylon. And then, under domination of the Philippines and the Greeks, and now the Romans, the Jews were slaves, but they wouldn't admit it. Is that true of you? Maybe you're a slave to something, but you won't really admit it. But Jesus was talking about spiritual slavery. Jesus replied to them, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, verse 34. You know, this kind of denial persists today, and not just among the Jews, but us as well. Although 2,000 years have passed, there's still as much confusion about spiritual slavery. People today do not accept the truth of their condition. If we suggest to someone uh, that he or she is in bondage, then they usually resist that idea. The more enslaved they are, the more they may resist being told the truth. Just consider the example of a practicing alcoholic. When you talk to them and they say, me an alcoholic? No way, no I'm not. I can stop at any time. That's their phrase. And sure, they can stop for a day or two days, and sometimes they can make it almost to a week before they slip back. Suggest to a sensualist that they may be in bondage, and they'll probably report to you that you're the one in bondage to some archaic beliefs about sex. This seems to be the case with Samson. He didn't understand his powers could be taken away, And I think we, too, need to be aware that our closeness to Jesus can be taken away. Now, wait a minute. Hear me. Not your salvation, but your daily walk can be affected. Jesus said the truth will make you free. Jesus says these words to those who believe in him. Strange words for his followers. By following him, aren't they walking in the truth? You know, we could understand it if if he were to say to his opponent this to his opponents, but Jesus said it to the people who believed in him, people who said amen to his teachings. The response from Jesus was uh, objection. What do you mean? Make us free. We're descendants of Abraham. We've never been in slavery to anyone. Friends, our sins cover the things that we have done. Also, the things that we've neglected to do. We state that we've fallen short of the two great commandments to love God above all else and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, the first step to freedom is realizing we're in chains. How can we be saved if we don't recognize our need of a Savior? God's transforming power can find no foothold in our hearts. Jesus tells us that if you practice sin, in other words, if you live a lifestyle of ongoing, unrepentant sin, then you're a slave to sin. And guess what? A slave doesn't remain in the house forever. Now catch this. Jesus is saying, you might at this time be experiencing some of the benefits some of the residual blessings that your believing ancestor Abraham was given, but eventually it's all going away. Fact is, if you continue to be a slave to sin, you'll die as a slave to sin. So here's a question. Do you know if you're free? Do you live in the freedom that Jesus Christ offers? Would your family say that you're free? John 8, 26, in one version of the Bible says, So if the Son sets you free, you are free through and through. I read about an elderly gentleman who came forward in church, and he was baptized, kind of like what we're going to do today in just a few moments. This older gentleman lived alone. After one service, the pastor invited him to go out to eat, and they had a great meal together and uh, they found out that this older gentleman was soon going to be going to Florida. And so this man uh, was excited about going to the beaches in Florida. The pastor used to live there and so he began to ask the man which beaches he would visit. And, And the older gentleman said that he was going to visit beaches that were clothing optional. Finally the pastor said, hey are you a nudist and the man said, well, yes, I am. And then he got out his wallet and pulled out his card that said National Association of Recreational Anudists. The man had attended his church for three years, was baptized, and saw nothing wrong with being a nudist. Just so our uh, we're clear, this is not the freedom that Jesus is talking about here in this passage. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says... Uh, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. When we come to faith, we're to repent. And the word repent simply means to turn around. It's a military term. That was describing a soldier marching in one direction and then doing an about face and marches in the other direction. And when this is used in a spiritual sense, it means to change our minds. Repent is a good description of what happens when we come to Christ for salvation. We no longer reject Christ, but now we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and we do a spiritual about face, which in turn changes everything. I hear so many people say, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? They have it backwards. We don't go to church to be a Christian. We go to church because we are a Christian. One guy asked, can you be saved and not go to church at all? And I said to this guy, sure, the same way that you can be a soldier and not be in the military. And the guy went, oh. Let's say we have a righteous person in this congregation. How many times a day do you think a righteous person might sin? Let's be generous and say uh, that they only sin like three times a day. Say something like, they say something they shouldn't say or or do something they shouldn't do or think something that they shouldn't think. But on the average, uh, they only do... uh, this three times a day. I know I'm a whole lot higher than that in number. Three times a day for seven days, 21 sins a week. 21 sins a week times 52 weeks, 1,092 sins in a year. 1,092 sins in a year times 60 years, 600, no, 65,520 sins during an 80-year lifetime. If we start at the age of 20, sinning, boy, I started a whole lot earlier than that. Not just saying, my numbers are way up there. And that's a righteous person. Somebody we'd say, oh, they're really, they're really a good Christian. Some of us are even much higher than that 65,520 sins in our lifetime some of us imagine that we're on the verge of obtaining freedom as we begin to part from God's Word and go on our own way. In reality, however, we're about to enter the greatest bondage that we've ever known. In such a state, we repent and resent any suggestion from family or acquaintances that something is wrong in our lives. But we need to wake up and realize that the path to freedom lies in obeying the Word of God. We're about to go into prayer in just a moment. After that, uh, some friends are going to help sing. I say to us, church, we are set free in Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you set us free from sin in all forms? In all ways. And ministering in the name of Jesus Christ, I cut the ties to this world holding us to sin and to any and all Satan's ways over us. Come, Holy Spirit, and move amongst us. Come now and touch each of our lives. See, we want to be yours. And we know we've sinned. Forgive us and then renew us. And we repent of our sins. Move us as a congregation to touch our community in a new way. To renew your purpose for us and your power in us. And help us to reach out to our city. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got a special song. Any of you choir people going to help him? Come on. They, they could use your help.
1: You're the God of the city. You're the king of these people. You're the Lord of this nation. You are. You're the light in the darkness. You're the hope to the hopeless. You're the peace to the restless. You are. There is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. For greater
2: things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in the city. For greater things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in the city.
1: is no one like our God. There is no one like our God. For
0: greater things have yet to come.
2: Greater things are still to be done in this city. For greater things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in this city, for greater things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done in this city, for greater things have yet to come to be a damn